Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are honored to be joined by Brian Clayton. Brian isn't just another CEO. He's a visionary and groundbreaker. As the mastermind behind GreenPal, an innovative online marketplace dubbed the Uber for Lawn Care by Entrepreneur Magazine, he's revolutionizing the way homeowners connect with local lawn care pros. Boasting over 200,000 active users, GreenPal pulses with thousands of transactions daily, a testament to Brian's knack for understanding market needs. And today to tell us about his story is Brian himself. So Brian, thank you for being here today. What's up, guys? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, and you are joining us. The audience doesn't know this, but you are joining us from sunny Rio de Janeiro. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, no, I'm from Nashville, and there's there's eight inches of snow on the ground right now in Nashville, which is very uncommon. So it's it's Armageddon there. Um, I have no time yeah. for that, so I had to be somewhere where where it's nice and sunny. Yeah, and Brazil's a great place to hang Change out. It it's, it's one of my favorite countries. Heck yeah. Well, mm. we're gonna get there, but what everyone's probably wondering is how are you living the dream, right? Most people start a business only to find it fail. And you've not only created a successful business, but it's afforded you the life that we hope we could have, which is flexibility, freedom, time, you know, that type of thing. So how'd this thing get started? Where did this company start? Yeah, I guess you could say, I feel like I've been living the dream for three or four years now. Um, Green, Green Pal is doing well. It's a nationwide network of lawn care services that you can hire from a smartphone. So kind of like Instacart or DoorDash or Uber, but for lawn mowing services. And GreenPal is about a 10-year overnight success. My two co-founders and I started this a little over a decade ago. And the idea came from my first business, which was a lawn mowing business. I started mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash. And little by little, stuck with this lawn mowing business all through high school, all through college. And uh, over a 15-year period of time, ended up building one of the larger landscaping businesses uh, in the state of Tennessee where I live. And then I sold it, sold it in 2013. It was acquired by a big national company. And after that, I, I took some time off and thought, well, I'm not really done. Um, so what am I going to do now? And uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll start a tech company. That would be cool. Uh, it looked easy in the social network. Uh, why, why can't I do that? <laughs> and uh, so I had the idea that somebody's going to build a network uh, like, like Uber, but for lawn care. Why couldn't that be me? And it was very much naivete as an asset. I didn't really know how challenging it was going to be, but just got in there and started working on it and, and didn't give up and made incremental progress on, on this app that, that where if you push a button, a lawn mowing service shows up and now 10 years in it's, it's working around 300,000 people using it every week for lawn care. Wow. What was that, you know, what were some of the bigger moments of naive that you thought it'd be easy, you know, this would be easy. And then you got into the actual trying to execute on it and it was more challenging than you thought. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Um, you look at a business idea and you see everything that that could go well and, and all of the opportunity that is there and and you think, yeah, you know, why doesn't why doesn't that exist? It should exist. And then you get in there and it's like it's a lot harder than you thought. There's a lot more to it that everything you were looking at was just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more complexity to making something like what you had in your mind uh, come to life. And that's how it was for me. I. I guess my first business, I, I had grown to 150 employees. I'd grown it to eight figures a year in revenue. So it was a pretty big business. And after it was acquired, 
I thought I knew everything there was to know about getting a business going and, and, and selling it. And, and uh, so I kind of had a chip on my shoulder and I was quickly humbled when starting GreenPal that, that there's a big difference between start running a traditional business, like a, like a landscaping business like I had or a construction company or a restaurant or something like that versus inventing something brand new that does not exist in the world. They're, and so they're, they're, they're vastly different. They're both businesses. And ultimately, their goal, both of their goals is to, is to make a profit. But the journey and how you attack each, each one is, is very, very different. And so that was one of the first like punches in the stomach was there is no playbook for this. Nobody knows to use it. You don't know how it should look. You don't know what the feature should be. Um, nobody's going to like do you any favors. One of the, the big... Um, I guess disheartening things was is like how little anybody cared. Like my friends, my family, like I, I would beg my friends and family to use this terrible app that, that my, my two co-founders and I had built and nobody gave a crap. Like nobody would, nobody would use it. And, and I thought, man, you really have to solve a problem and solve it well. Otherwise you're, you're dead in this game. And so, and so that was kind of exactly what I needed at the time. And, and, and I was able to hustle up a handful of customers uh, we passed out flyers around Nashville, hundreds of thousands of flyers to, to hustle up a couple hundred customers to use it. And then we would meet with them rigorously, like, like every month or two, you know, asking them, how do you like the app? What do you wish it would do? What yeah. was confusing? Um, just going on like this fact finding mission to, to figure out what it was we needed to focus on. And, and it was only by doing that that we understand what, what were the next steps. And uh, we realized how we were just totally wrong about pretty much everything. Mm. And, and, and the only way to figure out what we needed to do was just by interacting with users, interacting with customers. And, and we, we're still, still doing that today. You know, even though we're doing thousands and thousands of transactions every day, we're still talking to customers and still figuring out how do we make getting the grass cut quicker, faster, cheaper, smoother, more convenient, and then how do we make it for lawn care services to make more money with less headache? We're still doing the same thing today we were doing 10 years ago. Did you have to bring in like a technical co-founder that was kind of familiar with maybe creating an app or, you know, creating a digital service like that? Or did y'all, how did y'all figure that part of the, the problem out? That was one of the, the really challenging pieces. Um, so, and that's what I thought was going to be super challenging when we started. I thought, oh man, you know, I got the idea. I know the industry. I know how it should work. I don't know how to code. I don't know anybody that knows how to code. I've never met anybody who's ever built a website. And so that's going to be the hard part is figuring that out. And that part was hard. The hard part was really what I just mentioned, inventing something new and figuring out how to get people to use it. That was a hundred times harder than these other stuff. But mm. on top of all that, we had to figure out, okay, none of us know how to code. What are we going to do? And it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, I'm from Nashville. So it's kind, of, it's kind of like, oh, I have an idea for a song. I just need to find a musician to uh, compose it and write it and sing it for me. You know, <laughs> that's how stupid, like trying to start a tech company and, and not having any like developers on your team is and was. And, and so that's how we did it. And we did it wrong. And so the first thing we thought, well, well, we'll just outsource that. And we'll just pay a development shop to build what we think this app should be. And then we'll do all the marketing and all the design and all that, all the customer service and, and all that, but we'll outsource the tech. And so we tried that and we wasted $150,000 and a year mm. doing that. And 
and it, just, it was just a, such a non-starter that, uh, that we realized, wow, if we're going to be in the tech business, we're going to have to, to learn how to, to be builders in this game. We're going to have to learn how to code. And so I, I took every online class I could get my hands on and became the world's worst front-end engineer. And then my co-founder spent his last, actually, he spent $8,000 to go to a software boot camp. I want to say he spent his last eight grand. No, he, he, put, he put it on a credit card. Like, he didn't even have it. Uh, but he went to a, 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 a boot camp called Nashville Software School. And uh, that took nine months. And wow. he learned back-end programming while I learned front-end programming. And the two of us kind of cobbled together the next iteration of what the platform should be. And then at least we had something where we could improve it and make it better and better and better based on what, what homeowners were telling us up until then we had no way to do that. And so it was like, we were stuck. And, and uh, so that took three years um, from, from paying a, a dev shop, wasting all that time and money to then teaching ourselves how to code, building the whole thing over again, relaunching it. That took like two to three years. And then our, you know, we spent three years just in Nashville, Tennessee, making it work. How, okay, so a hundred people used it this week in Nashville. Seventy-five of them were pissed off. How do we improve on that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no reason to go to a thousand people if we're pissing off seventy-five out of a hundred. So let's get it to where only five are pissed off out of a hundred. And, uh, and so we spent another year or two doing that. And then, and then after we were, we were making 90, 95% of people happy using the platform, we then decided to, to roll it out into other cities. And actually, I know you're, you're from Atlanta and, and Atlanta was our second market. And then we started rolling it out to other cities in the South. And now we're in, in every city in the United States. Wow. How, how did you survive those first three years? And I don't just mean financially. I mean, those are trying times when you're self-doubt, you're working long, you're working hard, the fruit isn't there yet of the labor, right? How, when you look back, like how did you and your, your co-founders make it through those three years? Yeah, it, it was challenging, but a couple of ways that I dealt with it was, and I kind of had a unique, I guess, a, a unique story where I, I had built and sold a business, and, but, but I was kind of a first-time founder all over again. So I wasn't a second-time founder, not in tech anyway. So I didn't know what I didn't know. So there was that. And I made a decision with myself after I sold the first company and decided to get back in the game was that I was always going to be working on my best idea by default, no matter what. So by default, getting up in the morning, I'm going to go grind it out on my best idea. And then on top of that, like I'm not very creative or I don't have a whole lot of ideas. Like this was my one good idea. And in a decade, I've had just one good idea. I have no other better ideas. <laughs> and, and so this was it. And so it was like, okay, it's not working. But when I'm talking to customers, um, they're pissed off. And, and they, they, they are upset that our technology did not solve their problem. They, that nobody ever told me, I don't need this. Mm. Nobody ever told me, I don't want this. People told me a dozen ways that my team and I sucked because the app didn't deliver on what the promise was. And so all of that I took as validation. It was like, well, what if it did work? 
could you imagine? Like we could, this thing could have a million users. And, mm. and that's actually our goal, uh, you know, for the next three or four years. We have 300,000 now. We want a million people using this thing. And so in those early days, even though 100 people were using it and, it, and 90 of them were pissed off because there's a million things that can go wrong between hiring a long guy and him showing up and doing a great job. He got sick. Kid got sick. Equipment got stolen. He went out drinking last night. He's in jail. His helper's in jail. His lawnmower deck is too big for the fence gate. He left the fence gate open. Dog got out. It rained. It didn't rain. You know, <laughs> there's a million things. And so fixing like the top five or 10 of those things, like almost like in a, uh, arbit like in a, in a triage manner, like, a, like an emergency room. Okay, what are the top three things that's pissing people off? Let's fix, let's just not worry about anything else. And let's just fo focus all of our firepower on those three things. And we just kept doing that over and over and over again to where we started improving the customer experience. And, uh, and then, so, so, so that was motivating. Yeah, we weren't making any money. Um, I, I didn't take a salary for five years. My two co-founders didn't either. They still worked a day job. And they worked nights and weekends on, on this thing. I didn't have to have a salary, which was nice. Um, but uh, so, so, so I, I felt like, okay, this thing could touch the mass market at some point if I can just turn a hundred into a thousand and a thousand and into 10,000 and so on. And that's how we approached it. And it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to. But again, this, I made a commitment that I was always going to work on the best thing that I had. And that was the only thing that I had. So that's how we got through it. I like that. I like that simple decision that you made that kind of guided you through that storm. And then you, the other thing you mentioned, that I think is critical is the feedback you were getting was that you were not wrong about the problem. Right. That the core assumption the business was built off of was correct, meaning there would That's be right. demand, right? Execution sucked. Yes. But, but uh, we weren't wrong about the problem and solution. Uh, we were right about that. And so we weren't, we weren't in this weird area that a lot of founders get trapped in where it's, it's a product in search of a problem. And you see that a lot. You know, it's like uh, a lot of times founders will will build something that they think would be cool in, in their life. Like, oh, you know what should exist is an app to organize pickup basketball games. I have that problem. Um, you know, I think it would work. And as it turns out, nobody wants that app. Um, <laughs> we already have that app. It's, 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 uh, it's WhatsApp and Instagram. And, you know, it's like, and so, and so you, you, then get, you then get in this trap of building a product in search of a problem. And you really want the inverse. You know the problem's good. People are using it. They're pissed off that you let them down. That's a lot easier of a, of a, of a dynamic to be in because now you know, well, what if it did work? I can, you know, I can keep it small and, and build and do all the things I got to do to actually deliver on the promise. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, it's just like, all right, we just got to get better. And that's yeah. motivating. That's and right. we can do that, right? Like with a growth mindset, like, hey, there's no reason why we can't learn to code. There's no reason why our code can't get better. There's no reason why we can't vet these, you know, contractors that we're using better. That's right. I mean, that felt like you introduced a whole other subset of problems, which is not just me to the user, but me to these lawn care businesses. And how do I vet them? How do I work with them? How do we get them to use the technology, right? So you've got a, you've got kind of a two, two front issue. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, that was one of the key early lessons we learned. Um, one is, to your point, you have to be a relentless problem-solving machine. And just because you solve in, in, in business at every level, um, 
just because you solve a problem doesn't mean you all, that you're done. Like you always think, oh, if I could just make this higher, if I could just get this feature out, if I could just uh, fix this one thing, then everything will be good. And actually what happens is, is you do all those things and then you get, you get 10 more problems. And, and I think that's embracing that is, and understanding that it's like a video game and that never ends. And you just get to play one level at a time and you get to, you know, every, every level's got a new final boss and you just, you just work one level at a time. I think if you, can, if you can embrace that, it helps manage your expectations. And that was one of the first lessons we learned was that if the vendors didn't love it, if, if the suppliers didn't love it, if guys and, and gals in the lawn mowing business didn't want to use the app, then, then we did not have a product or service for, for consumers. So we had to approach it from the supply side first and almost err on, on that side of, the, of the, the balance between the two and, and solve for their problems, build an, an operating system for their business, make their life better, easier, then consumers could kind of order them off the shelf, so to speak. Only when they were kind of modulated into the platform did we have an offering for consumers. And at the time, 2013, 14, 15, 16, there was like an avalanche of money that got thrown at uh, these Uber for X ideas. So Uber for home cleaning, Uber for laundry service, Uber for groceries, groceries, car cleaning, um, you name it, and Uber for valet parking. Every kind of service you could think of, venture capitalists were trying to fund startups that were going to Uberize them because the 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 thought uh, the thinking at the time was that this is the new way that everything is going to happen. And what happened was, all of those startups were under pressure to to grow and to deploy this venture capital. And so they just went after consumer acquisition and they, they would just build, build for consumers and they would treat suppliers as kind of fungible commodities, as, as like a given. And the reality was no good suppliers wanted to use those platforms. You know, if you, if you were a good car detailer, you didn't need Uber for car de- detailing. If, if you did a good job mowing yards, you don't need Uber for lawn care. And, and so, and so they, they, they kind of skipped over that. And that's why none of them worked. 90% of them plus went out of business and billions of dollars of, of venture capital was, was destroyed. So we learned that early on really cheap. We're self-funded. We, we bootstrapped the business. So, so we didn't have this kind of uh, pressure put on the business. We didn't have any pressure put on the business that wasn't exerted by customers. Mm. And, and that's important. Um, and even if you do raise capital, you don't want any pressure on your startup that's not exerted by users of the product. You don't want external pressure from, from investors or, or anybody else. Yeah. And, and so that's one thing that we, you know, self-funding the business sucked because we didn't have any money, but at least we didn't have this other problem of having to grow 10X and put rocket fuel into a Toyota Camry. It just, you know, it kills more startups than it does help uh, build. And so that's what we did. Um, uh, you know, my, back, my background was in lawn care, so, so at least I knew that journey. I, I walked that walk. I lived it. And so I could speak that language. I kind of knew what the basics of the tools that need to be built. But, but then, you know, we were able to build it in, in, in terms of how do we build an operating system for small lawn care services to use? What are the tools that they need? What do they want? 
what what do they don't want? You know, what is what you know? We take a take rate of of every transaction. What is what is fair? What's too much? What's too little? We solved for all that first, and then we and then we had an offering for consumers. What what ended up being the the kind of primary value or problems that were being solved for the lawn care professionals that incentivized yeah. them to use your app? So, f- great question. So for for consumers, it's uh, the value proposition is get a lawn mowing service to cut your grass today for a, for a fair price, even if the grass is four feet tall and, and, uh, and without even making a phone call, like there's no other place in the world to do that other than green pal. And, uh, for vendors, it was a little di- it was a, very different. It was, it was, okay. What are you, what are the main things that suck about running a lawn mowing business? Well, the first thing that really sucks is, is accounts receivable and cash flow. The lawn guy, unfortunately, like nobody teaches us how to run a small business. Yeah. We're not taught how to run a small business in high school. Even if you go to business school, they don't teach you how to run a small business. And so you're kind of left on your own to just go out into the, into the wild and through the school of hard knocks and figure out things like marketing, basic bookkeeping, how to run accounts receivable, how to figure out, you know, things like operations management and scheduling and routing and all of these things, you just kind of have to figure it out on your own. And if you don't, you go out of business or you don't make any money. And so that's what 90% of the small business owners that use our platform we're dealing with. And what happens a lot is they, they service customers and they forget to bill them or they do bill them and they never get paid because they don't have a, a system to, <laughs> to like nudge people to pay them and, or the, the homeowner forgets to pay them or the homeowner is just overextended. And, you know, you're going to pay a bunch of things before you pay your, your lawn guy. Right. And, and so, and so these, these undercapitalized uh, lawn mowing service professionals are running 90 day accounts receivables. If they even know what that is, like, you know, <laughs> if they're even entering all of this into QuickBooks and they can look at an AR, uh, you know, which 90% of them can't or don't, they don't even know what they're getting paid for. And, 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 or, and if they, if they, if, and if they're even making money on the stuff they are getting paid for. And so that was the first thing it's, it's like, okay, well, let's tackle that. We're going to get a credit card on file for every homeowner that comes into the platform. And, and these service providers are going to get paid in 24 hours of every service they do every single time they're on the property. None of this, okay, I'm going to mow, it, mow your property four times, bill you at the end of the month, and wait for you to maybe mail me a check or Venmo me or PayPal me or Zelle me. And then I got to reconcile that against this thing. And then when you don't, I got to like hassle you. And then, you know, 25% of the time you don't pay me and I get, I get stiff on that. So that was the main value proposition then and now is getting paid quickly on time and, and accounts receivable is just gone. You don't have that. And then the next thing is, you know, you don't know how to market this home services business that you have. Nobody teaches you how to, how to market a business. So, so you don't necessarily know how to run a Google AdWords campaign or a Facebook campaign or uh, maybe maybe you might pass out flyers, but you know it's like you're just kind of like shooting from the hip, and so you don't know what marketing channels are good and and where you're getting good ROI on on that effort and that spend, and so that's the second thing we do is, hey, you've got ten lawns, you're you're working a day job as a fireman, and you are mowing ten or twenty yards a week, 
let's get you to 100 yards a week in three months and you can quit the fireman job and just do this and be a business owner and make 200 grand a year and work eight months out of the year. How does that sound? Let's do that. Let's do that in a year. And so that's the value proposition is getting you as many customers as you can handle and as you want, and then making sure you're on pay, you're getting paid and, and all of that. And then the third thing is, and these are kind of in, in order of, I guess, uh, value and severity and intensity. And the third thing is, is how do you keep all of this stuff organized? How do you, how do you know, do you have a system of record? Do you have a CRM? Do you know who's scheduled with you and who isn't? Who's gone cold? You know, you mowed Mrs. Smith, uh, you know, on Main Street uh, since March, but now here it is July, and, and are, do they want service? Do they not? Um, do they want shrubs? Do they want mulch? Do they want fertilizing and all these things? Do you have any kind of system for, for keeping all of this stuff straight and upselling these homeowners? And the answer is no, you don't, unless you are running a, a three or four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar a year business. You don't. So we, we, we provide that. Just, it's just part of it. And, you know, one CRM, one system of record, one place to keep all of this stuff in, you know, um, in sync and marketing automation to keep all of these folks booked with you. And then, and then from there, uh, things like routing, time management, um, you know, figuring out if you're making money on these yards or not, you know, all of these things are like kind of the long tail, but those are the three or four main reasons why somebody in this business would use our platform. So smart. Also a lot of features that you had to figure out how to actually turn from the idea to making available on the app, I'm sure. Right. These are all the things you don't think about when you're like, you know, an app should exist for, for pickup basketball. I mean, it sounds simple enough. And then you're looking at the tip of the, of the iceberg and then there's all of this complexity that, that, that you don't even see. And that's, that's the naivete as an asset. And if you can just keep going and, and, and solve all, for all of those intricacies, then you have something. Question for you, Brian. Coming all the way back to at the beginning, we tried to outsource the dev. We realized we had to do it ourselves. And based off probably these four problems that we solved on the supply side, the vendor side, I'm assuming at some point it's, it's not you and your other founder doing the front end and back end. Maybe, maybe it was, but I'm curious more about like, Okay, how about the labor management again? Like, how did you start to tackle that once you started to see success, once we've changed from 75% of people are unhappy to like, hey, 95% of people are happy. How did you start to solve for, hey, you're in Rio you know, de Janeiro now. So clearly there's some team, there's some level of that. What were the, the ceilings that you kind of had to break through on that side once you started started cooking? How did you solve the finding of the people or the leadership aspect or just the human capital side of things. I'm curious of like, how did you start or when did you even start solving that and, and kind of getting yourself out of that seat? Uh, I'm curious about that. Yeah. It's uh, so I, I answered that a couple of different ways. So the first thing I'll say is as a small business owner, you're always, you're kind of wearing the, the, the hat of a capital allocator. So, so money's coming in mm -hmm. and it may just be like a thousand dollars a month or $10,000 a month, whatever it is, money's coming in. And then you as the capital allocator are putting money back out to work. And, and so as you're hustling this thing up and, and getting some revenue going, you got to figure out where to place your bets and what, how you're going to put money back out there to work. And so in the early, like five years, the first five years, it was really clear is like, we got a list of bugs we got to fix. We got a bunch of problems that are pissing off users. 
people aren't using the the, the platform uh, on a consistent basis because of X, Y, and Z. We got to build, 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 build. We got to build all these features that are that are rooted in customer feedback. It's not like these aren't assumptions. These aren't ideas. I know. Yeah. I, I I know what the next ten things to build are, and and I'm not. At, uh, I'm, I am confident of that because I'm doing my own customer support and everybody's telling me every day where, where we're coming up short. So that's the first thing. And so that was a real easy decision. We need, we need more developers. So, and, and, and we're doing all the, the, we're writing all the code at the time. And so the first thing we did was, okay, well, you know, my co-founder, Zach, you went to Nashville Software School. Let's, let's hire some of those people. And, uh, and we did that. And it's like, Man, I mean, we're gonna go broke doing this. Like, we can't. Like, I, I mean, this it's like a thousand dollars a week, and and this guy hasn't gotten anything done. And and it's like, it's and 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 he's working for cheap at that. And 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 so it was really clear early on that hiring local developers, because we didn't raise any money, was just was just not going to work. It, we would be we would be seventy five years old by the time we got this thing working right. And so we started we started trying to outsource. Um, this stuff and not outsource, but, but, but offshore this stuff. Um, because at least now we know, we know how to do it. We're doing it ourselves. And so we can delegate from, from stewardship and not abjuration. And so, so the first time we delegated from a standpoint of abjuration. And so what does that mean? I don't know. How, so we, we delegated, I don't know how to do this. It scares me. I don't want to learn how to do it. Um, you handle it. And let me know when it's done. Anytime you try to delegate something from abjuration, it's, it's usually going to blow up in your face or you're going to get lucky. And so that's what we did and it didn't work. What you want to do is be able to delegate from a standpoint of stewardship, which is, hey, I'm doing this. This is, this is what we need done. This is how we do it here. This is, this is the specs and the scope of work for how we expect it to work and, and function. This is how long we think it should take to build. Um, this is how we gauge quality. This is how much we, we know it should cost. And we're going to see if you're a good fit to do this project or not. And so it was only after we were able to delegate, delegate from a standpoint of stewardship, could we then bring on freelancers for a period of time until we were able to, to, to hire any full-time developers um, from anywhere in the world. And when we started doing that, we really started picking up speed. Um, we were able to tap talent from anywhere from Eastern Europe to, to India, Pakistan, um, Indonesia. We had a rock star guy from Indonesia for a while. That was incredible. Um, and, we, and we were able to do it at a price that we could kind of dog food and, and bootstrap our way through. And it wasn't until we started doing that that we begin to unlock and, and, and figure out how to build a system and a team around our, our product roadmap and execute and just get stuff done. And it took Took a couple years to figure that out, honestly, and and we would not have been able to do that had we not had the acumen to 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 build the stuff ourselves and delegate from a stewardship standpoint. The other thing I'll say is, as a founder, you're you're doing three things at once at all times, to varying degrees, and so you're working you're working in the business. So in my case, writing the code, writing the content, doing customer support, talking to vendors, talking to customers. Uh, figuring out how to how to how to organize our product roadmap, um, you're working in the business, just making sure the trains run on time. And then the second thing is you're working on the business. What does the marketing strategy look like? 
what is uh, our cost per acquisition on on customers? What is what is uh, what what is our 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 legal uh, protections look like right now? Because because are we exposed to to could we be sued? Are we breaking any laws? Um, what is you know what does our employee training system look like? What is what is our user uh, our user training system look like? What what do all of these systems and processes look like? I'm working on the business, and then the third thing is you're working on yourself. I don't know how to code. So I got to read every book I can on JavaScript and take every online course I can on JavaScript. Um, I, uh, you know what, turns out somebody's got to be a good copywriter around here. So let me read every book I can get my hands on on copywriting. Um, I don't know how to design. So I need to look, I need to take some courses on product design. And so you're working on yourself as kind of block and tackling uh, as to where the business is getting bottlenecked. And so in the early days, it should probably be like 80% in the business, 10% on the business, 10% on yourself. And then as time goes on, ideally in months or a few years, you should be able to invert those to where now it's 30% in the business, 60% on the business, and 10% on yourself or 20% on yourself. And, and I would literally block out days during the week for for these exercises <laughs> monday through friday in the business saturday on the business set sunday on myself that's how i started and as time w- went on i was able to invert those there are so many nuggets there damn good lord i really like that that is not it's not uh completely new language no. but that is a great framework. none of that is new that's, uh <laughs> but we haven't it hasn't been said yeah, a lot on all, this podcast all I don't of believe. The, we've talked all about of that it. came from uh came from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, yeah. uh, those two books. Uh, and yeah. the, I think the only thing that, that doesn't get talked about a lot that might be, might be some sort of insight that everybody kind of does but doesn't codify is you're just going to have to set aside time to uplevel your skills. You got to yeah. work on yourself. Um, you're, yeah, that's what I was, was yeah, going to say. Nobody good. talks about that, and I don't know why. And successful, all the successful entrepreneurs do it. Every successful entrepreneur is reading mm-hmm. books, listening to podcasts, taking online courses, uh, just inherently, because I think it's kind of table stakes to compete. But somebody needs to write a book, E-Myth 2.0, where, where this stuff is codified. And it's like, okay, you're going to have to make time. You, you, you have no customers. You're going yeah. to have to make time to become a good marketer mm. yourself. Yeah. And you're going to have to do it, and then you can build a team to do it. But everybody wants to skip yeah. all of that. They say, no, let me just hire a team. Well, you don't even know what to tell them. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> so nobody talks about that. So, so that's, that's something that from baked in my experience that I like to share. Yeah. No, that, that sounds like something that's certainly, you know, a message that you bring that's, you know, is, is, a, is kind of the thing that's standing out to me from this is just that sense of I made, I made the choice to do it myself. Right. And because, and because like part of your thought is like, Hey, I think that's probably required, right. To learn the coding or to become a marketer or become whatever that thing is you need to do. Honestly, the, the example, as you were just sharing the example that popped in my head was why Tiger Woods, in my opinion, was so successful. He clearly was naturally talented. He clearly was six, three and, and in his younger years built like a rubber band and so like he he had faster swing speeds than everybody else but he 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 had to work on his game and so he had to play the game of golf he had to play 18 rounds in the business he had on the business time you hear about him talking about his practice routines and it's just insane his his practice routines but then he also was the guy who decided I'm going to start going to right. the gym all the right. time 
and it's this, I'm going to work on myself. And if you look at golfers now versus, hey, man, I'm a big Freddie Couples fan, but Freddie Couples doesn't look the same way Brooks Kepka looks, yep. right? And, you know, it's it's just a different level of like, man, the fitness required now you don't, you don't have, you know, a lot of the golfers are looking like yeah, athletes totally. now because they're, they're, they're seeing, I have to work on myself. Gonna have, you, that's right. I'm really going to, you're going to have to, you don't have the skills and attributes that today that you're going to need to play this game, yeah. whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. And so, so you're going to, you're going to have, thing. you're going to shore yeah. that up. Yeah. So good. So I love that. Like, Hey, here are the three jobs of you as the business owner or you as the founder or whatever. If you're going to step into that seat, you got to have to work in the business. You're going to have to work on yourself. And you're going to have to work on the business. And I, honestly, I, I'm like a lot of the things Drew and I help people with is like, you're not actually even working on the business. Yeah. I'd love to get to the working on yourself, but you haven't worked, worked on the business right now. You're just, you know, you own the business and you're right. self-employed, right? You, you see that plenty of times with the the guy who owns the the landscaping yep. company, right? He, a lot of times he's just, he's just self-employed. So I love that. And then the, the mix of time of going, Hey, here's your beginning objective. And then I want to see you invert it. I mean, that's, that's just really good, man. It's a great this roadmap. Really good. So, well, and, and the result yeah. is, for me anyway, 22 years uh, building my first company and my second company is that, man, I have been able to go places in life that I never would have been able to do otherwise if I had just worked a job somewhere. Uh, being in business for yourself is going to require you to do so many things that you would never do in a million years and you would never want to do, but, but it's always worth it. And it's going to, it's going to require you to level up and you're always going to feel a little ahead of your skis. And, and that's a good thing. And, and, uh, and, and if you're not, like you talk about the landscaper, that's not working on the business or on himself. It's like, if you're, you have to learn early on, this is a full contact sport. I mean, this is going to take everything you're, I mean, from you leveling up to how you think to how you see things and uh, you should be changing into a whole new person every year, two or three years. If you're mm. doing a business right, you should look back. You should watch a movie that you watched four years ago and not like it anymore, mm. because you just does it just doesn't resonate with you. Uh, you and you can't understand why you liked it back then four years ago. And and uh, it's because now you're doing all of these things. You have five employees, and and it's like I have to manage and lead these people and. And now I have all these skills that I didn't have three or four years ago. Like th this is, this is a good thing. And, and owning and, and growing a business is, is one of the most enriching things you can do with your life. Dude, you should be a new person every right. one to two years is, is, I mean, tweet that God. that's a bomb, right? Or X that. I don't even know what we do anymore. Do we <laughs> yeah, X that's it? Right. You know, but I mean, most people, Oof, most people we work with, most people I know are the same from about 30 on. Yeah. You, you know? And and even just trying to get them to get a new gym, yeah. a new gym routine feels like impossible to them where they're like, yeah. here it is again. It's on my new year's resolution again. I just can't seem to change. How in the world do you go from, I never change to I'm, I'm a different person every one to two years. Yeah. It, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I sometimes wonder if anybody changes and I think you got to really, 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 really want it. And you're right. I've noticed this with people that, that work for me, that, that I've hired. It's like, do you have 10 years of experience or did you repeat the same year 10 times? Mm. And, um, and that, you know, Damn. it's like, you got to look out for that. It's like, and, and you got to hold yourself yeah. accountable to that. W one way I like to deal with it is I like to set up um, what I call trip wires. And, and what I mean by that is 
I do this in my personal life, in my fitness life, and in my business life, where I will hire coaches. Um, I have a boxing coach that I have to get out of bed every morning at 6 a.m. and meet over Zoom, and we, and we do an hour of, of some rigorous stuff every morning, and that keeps me on track. I have got a, I've got a SEO uh, st- a strategist that makes $1,000 an hour that I pay one hour a week uh, to go over things with her, and I know that when I am meeting with her, on Friday afternoon, I better have all my shit together. I better have, okay, I've poured over the data. I've, I've grinded on the spreadsheets. I know what is working and what isn't. And now these are the objectives we were working on together. So like, that's a, that's a tripwire. Like I know this lady's expensive and, and I'm held accountable to have my stuff together once a week with her. And so, and, and I can go on and on and on about how I try to like set up these little things that I trip over in my personal life and business life to keep me on track, to, to continue to progress. Because otherwise, you, you can get stagnant and stale real quick. I've, I've noticed that. I've had to unstick myself. That's so good. Have you read uh, any of Dan Sullivan's work? Are you familiar with him? Uh, what are a couple titles? That name rings a bell. Yeah, so he's got The Gap and the Gain. Okay, he's got I haven't read that. 10X is Easier Than 2X, which is the book okay. I'm thinking about right now. He's kind of a, a famous, uh, at least in our world, executive coach, entrepreneur okay. coach for since the 70s. And one of the things that I found really interesting in his book was he talked about needing to have a flexible identity. Okay. And he said, most people have a very fixed idea of who they are and it's always rooted in their past. What have I done? Who have I been? Right. So they have a very hard time evolving and growing. But he said, if you can have a little more flexible idea of who you are, you can kind of unstick yourself to allow yourself to do new things, try new things, become new things. And then he said, our identity should be connected to our goals in the future. That I like that. If you if you commit to something where you're like, that's the goal I want, then we become the person in the process of pursuing that goal that that person needs to be to achieve those types of things. And therefore, you keep growing, right? But I just really, I, I remember liking that idea of a fixed versus flexible identity and an identity that is hooked in the past instead of an identity that I've hooked to the future that's pulling me along. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I like that. It, it's one thing that that I've I've ex- noticed um, when I was starting my when I was starting Green Pal was not to believe your own BS. Um, you know, just because you don't have a title of a certain thing doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it or can't do it. So, so for in my case, like I'm not an engineer. I've never written any code, so I can't do that. Well, <laughs> if you want this thing to work, you better become a good half-ass engineer, or I don't have the title designer, therefore I can't design the interfaces that users are going to interact with uh, on my product. Um, and so, and so I got to f- pay somebody to do that. I got to pay a designer. And and after I've tried to pay a bunch of designers and it just was never right, I became a decent product designer. And so it's like you can become 80-20 pretty good at pretty much anything for free these days with, with mm. YouTube university and, and things like that. So I think, I think like along the lines, what you're saying is to not believe your own BS. And yes. just because you don't have a title for that doesn't mean you can't be that or, or at least do the 80, 20 of it. Yes. A hundred percent. And that's exactly what he was saying is we just keep looking back for evidence. Right. And then we're like, well, I've never done it. So I can't. And he's like, what do you right. mean? If, if that's your goal and you commit to it, you'll become the person who can do that thing. Do yeah. you think there is, is there in your mind, because you seem to have things kind of mapped out, like I got these three responsibilities, 
I've got, I'm a capital allocator, like you process that way. Is there a minimum amount of competency that you think you need to get to at some of those skills before you're ready to delegate it? Yeah. I, and, you know, it could be, uh, you know, it's hard to put a number on it, but, right. but usually, the, usually the, the law of 100 it applies to pretty much everything. So it's like, okay, I want to start a podcast. Um, let me go hire a podcast agency. Nah, nah. Do a hundred podcasts yourself end to end before mm. you go hire a podcasting agency. Or um, I think search engine, I think, I think SEO could be a channel for us. Okay, let me go hire an SEO uh, agency. Nah, go write a hundred blog posts or a hundred landing pages, create them end to end, and and then uh, do that. And the list goes on and on and on. It, 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 it can really probably apply to anything. Um, do it a hundred times and then, and then delegate it. So I, you know, a Facebook campaign, I need, we, let's see if we can get Facebook as open up as a channel. Let's, let's, let's hire a Facebook marketer. Mm, no, uh, let's create a hundred Facebook ads and see if we can at least get to some positive ROI on one or two of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you do it a hundred times, you probably have the 80, 20 down. Yeah. Well, it's cool in the podcasting game. What you just said, the, I think the statistic is like 80, 90% of podcasts never go beyond seven episodes. Yeah, I believe it. Not it's even beyond seven episodes. So yeah. if you applied the rule of 100, not only would you be better than when you started, you'd also be in a very small percentage of podcasts that even went beyond the first seven episodes, right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 so and so the way you can look, you can kind of look at it is never start anything new if you're not going to commit to doing it a hundred times mm. uh, yourself personally. And this could go for go to the gym. Like don't yeah don't get a gym membership if you're not going to go for a hundred days. Yep, exactly. Uh, don't don't start a business if you're not willing to talk to a hundred customers. Mm. You know, literally cold email, cold call, a hundred sales, hand to hand combat style. Do not do this unless you're willing to do that uh, because there's no way to automate any of this stuff to thousands until you do the first hundred yourself. I think if you, I think that can save a lot of people, a lot of headache and a lot of money too. Yeah. A lot of wasted time because the, by the end of the hundred, you know what you're, you know what you're actually asking for. Right. You're like, I right. actually, I know it well enough to know I need this. I don't need all this stuff over here. I need you to do this. And my customer wants this and the industry I'm in, like, that is, that's so smart. It, it's, it's, it's so yeah. funny because this is, this is top of mind. A couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months ago, I was talking to this young entrepreneur um, who, I, who I like to help coach for, as, as a hobby. And he was telling me, he's like, hey, I want to start a marketplace like yours. Um, and, I, and I have an idea for a marketplace I think will work. And I said, okay, let's hear it. He goes, well, you know how I just uh, renovated this house I'm living in, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, dude, I was able to save so much money on uh, scratch and dent items. I bought like a $10,000 front door for 200 bucks because the lumber yard just had it sitting in the back. And I was able to buy this uh, bathtub that was shaped a little weird, but I was able to make it work. And the contractor made it work. And it was a $3,000 tub that I bought for 500 bucks. And he said, what I found out was all of these, um, all of these supply houses have all of this weird inventory in the back uh, <laughs> that people ordered and they never picked up or it was wrong or something. And it's just dead. And he goes, I think somebody is going to build a marketplace like an Etsy or something, or uh, Shopify, where you can order this stuff at, just off the shelf and save all this money because the, 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 the suppliers want it gone and people would buy it. I said, he, I said yeah, that's, that's a pretty good idea, man. He goes, yeah, dude. So I'm coding up 
the, 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 the homepage. I'm working on the inventory management system. I almost got it done. He's, he's a designer and a developer, really, really sharp kid. He's a builder. And he goes, and I'm, and I'm working on the, 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 the messaging system and the email system. And I think after maybe another month or two, I'll be able to launch it. I'm like, hold on, hold on a second. I said, uh, who, who are these suppliers you're talking about? He goes, well, it's, it's, it's 84 Lumber over here. Okay, I said, all right, go to 84 Lumber and just say, hey, listen, I want to sell, sell $10,000 of this stuff in the back, and I'll let you keep 90% of the money. He goes, dude, I don't have time for that. I got to go build all this other stuff. And I'm like, please, just, just go sell $10,000 of it, and then, and then let's talk. Let's revisit and he goes, man, I got to build this inventory system. I said, dude, I will not help you anymore if you don't do this. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So begrudgingly, he, he works himself into the back office. And I said, sell that stuff by any means necessary. Craigslist, offer up, Facebook Marketplace. I mean, there's a million ways you can move that stuff. Get it gone. 10 grand. Calls me two days later. And I'm like, how's it going, man? He's like, there's no business here. Wow. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, dude, he's like, it's all, none of this stuff matches to any specs. People think it's going to be this. Uh, it's actually that. I sold two or three things, and it came right back. Uh, people want to, like, kick the tires on it. There's no business here. And I'm like, damn, okay, well, aren't you glad you didn't waste a year trying to build the systems until you, you know, hand-cranked on this thing? So I, I think as silly as that story sounds, it applies to pretty much everything, you know, do it a hundred times or sell 10,000 in sales and then try to figure out how to scale and automate. Yeah. I mean, that made a millionaire would be my hunch is if anybody listened to that took that, that's, that's, that makes a millionaire right there. Or saves you a decade. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, or it saves you a decade at minimum. You get to have 10 yeah. years of your life back doing right. something enjoyable, uh, which is probably, probably more, more valuable. valuable. Uh, gosh, uh, that's, that's really, really good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, man. This has been, this has probably been the best podcast of the year so far. I mean. Oh, awesome. Seriously. <laughs> this is so, so helpful. Like very, very concrete uh, principles that are flexible. Like all the best principles are flexible to a degree, you know, like it's, it's going to be a slightly different road for the person listening uh, now than, than yours. But some of these principles can be applied across industry and man, I'm just, I'm really grateful for you being here. So thank you for your time. Thank you for taking time out of beautiful Rio de Janeiro to be uh, on this podcast with us. Well, Drew and Jordan, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.